Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and grab those and turn with me to 1 Peter. Today, we're going to continue our series through 1 Peter, a series called Exiles. You know, when we first started this series, we spent some time really kind of unpacking the two terms, the two names that Peter gave these early Christians. He called them elect, and he called them exiles. Of course, elect refers to the fact that they belong to God, that they have been drawn by the Holy Spirit, and they've responded in faith, that they are children of God. But he also calls them exiles. And we define exiles as those that are aliens and strangers and sojourners in this world. Now, if you think about exiles for just a moment, when you call someone an exile, literally what you're saying is, you don't belong. So when Peter was calling these early Christians that, that they're called to be exiles in this world, he's saying to them, hey, listen, in this world with which you live, you don't belong. Now, can you ever think of a moment in your life or maybe a situation that you encountered or an event that you went to that when you showed up, immediately you realized, I don't belong here. In fact, if you, can, if you can relate to that, if you can think of that moment where you showed up and you didn't belong there, right now in your thread, I just want you to type in, that's me. That, they, that you know that there's a moment in your life when you showed up somewhere, when you, when you appeared somewhere or went to an event that you truly did not belong. And when you showed up, you realized, this is not for me. If that's you, just type in, that's me. Because I think it's important for us as believers to realize there's other people that feel the way that we feel. Now, for some of you, those moments where you feel like you didn't belong are funny moments. And for others of you, those aren't so funny of moments, right? Maybe for you, it was that time when you had a friend invite you to an event, and they told you, they swore to you, that it was a casual dress event. And so you dressed casually. You wore your khaki shorts, and you wore your polo, and you put on your flip-flops, and you went into this event thinking it was a casual dress to only open the doors to find out that they were totally wrong, that this was extremely a formal event. Maybe that was your story. Or maybe you're that, like that person who, who's desperately got to get to a restroom, and you're so rapidly trying to get there that you're ignoring the signs. And as soon as you bust through the door of the restroom, you realize that you've entered the wrong one, right? So, we've all had that happen to us, haven't we? The point is this, is that when we experience those moments where we truly feel like we don't belong, those moments are awkward, aren't they? Those moments are extremely uncomfortable, especially if you're going to the wrong restroom, right? Now, I think that's exactly the heartbeat of what Peter wants these early believers to know about their life, is that as exiles in this world, we're to be awkward. It is to be awkward for us that we are to be uncomfortable. See, for Peter, it wasn't just enough for them to know that they were exiles. He wanted them to act like exiles, it wasn't just enough to know that we belong to the Lord and do not belong to this world, that we are temporary residents. It wasn't just enough to know that we are exiles. He wants them to act like they are exiles, to act like aliens, to act like strangers and sojourners, to act like we don't belong in this world. Now, if you were to ask me, Doug, what is the primary thread throughout the whole book of 1 Peter, it would simply be this. The thread throughout the entire book of 1 Peter is how we are to live as exiles in this world. If you were to look through the whole book of 1 Peter, the one thread that takes us all the way through it is this. How are we to live as exiles in this world? How are we to live as strangers 
sojourners? How are we to live as people who don't belong in this world? And so Peter begins to encourage these early believers with how they're to live as exiles in this world. So last week, he first of all told them that we're to live in hope, that we are to live with keeping our eye on the prize. And you know what the prize is, right? That one day that when we slip from this world, our Jesus comes again and we see him face to face and get to spend all eternity with him. He said, listen, no matter what goes on in life, no matter what trials that come, make sure that you're living in hope. You're keeping your eye on the prize. And so while you're in this world, here's what that means. Keep loving Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. And keep rejoicing in Jesus. Now today we're going to find out that, that uh, what does it mean for us to live as exiles in this world? It's not just about living in hope, but it's about living in holiness. Meaning that we are to live a life that is set apart. That we are to live a life that is different from everyone else. Now, if we are called to live in holiness, that should foster this question for us. What does it take for me to live in holiness? What does it look like for me to live a life and to live in that holiness? What does it look like and what does it take for me to live a life that is set apart and that is different? Well, that's the very thing that Peter addresses in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking today and just kind of, kind of, kind of unpacking the verses 13 through verse 21. But I don't want to just read the whole passage. I want to take it in chunks because I believe as we read this, what we're going to find out is that what it takes for us to live in holiness are three different things that Peter talks about. And the first one's found in verse 14 through 16. It says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So what does it take for us to live in holiness? First of all, it takes a desire to be like a holy God. Meaning this, the chief desire of our lives is to be like the Lord. Did you pick up on what he said here? He said this, he said, the one who's called you is holy, therefore you should be holy. He quotes the Old Testament later when he says that you shall be holy for I am holy. See, our chief desire of our life is to be like the Lord, which means because God is holy, we are called to be what? We are called to be holy. Now, think about what that means for this moment. If God is holy and we are called to be holy, what does that literally mean for us? Well, think about it this way. God, because he's holy, is separated from sin, right? God knows no sin. God doesn't engage sin. God is separated from sin, and God seeks to glorify himself. And if we are going to be holy like he is holy, if we are going to be set apart and different like he is set apart and different, we must separate ourselves from sin. Now, let me tell you why that is crucial for us. Because here's what I've discovered in my life and what I've discovered in a long life as being a believer and a long life in being in ministry is that too many times we don't like as believers to separate ourselves from sin. Most of the time, we like to walk the tightrope. Holiness on this side, sin on this side. And we want to see how close we can walk the line of sin without actually sinning. And early in my ministry, for the first 19 years actually, I was in student ministry. And if you were to ask me, hey, Doug, what was one of the most common questions you, got, you received from high school students, especially as it relates to dating, what would that question be? And you can imagine what the question was. 
with high school students, especially when you talked about dating and those kinds of things, the ultimate question I always got was this. Well, Doug, how far is what? Too far. In my dating relationship, how far physically is too far? Now, the answer I always gave them just kind of baffled them. The answer I gave them just kind of sent them back like, okay, you didn't really answer my question because here's the answer I'd give them. If you're asking the question, how far is too far, here's what I want to tell you. You're asking the wrong question. See, what you're asking is, how close can I get to sin without sinning? And what you should be asking is, how far can I get separated from sin and look more like Jesus? See, if we're going to be holy as he is holy, we need to make sure that we are separating ourselves from sin. We're not entertaining sin, we're not engaging sin, and we're not trying to walk the line of holiness on this side and sin on this side, thinking, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? If we are going to be holy like he is holy, we need to separate ourselves from sin and seek to glorify him. But see, holiness is not just about separating from sin. Holiness is also about living a life of righteousness. See, God is not only separated from sin. Now, God is not only separate from sin. God is just. Here's what that means. God always does what is right. And if we are going to be holy like he is holy, we not only need to separate ourselves from sin, but we need to commit to doing what is right. We need to commit to living a life of righteousness, that when decisions come our way, when choices come our way, when opportunity comes our way, that no matter what the situation is, that we are not, that we are not jaded or we are not influenced by our personal preferences. We're not influenced by peer pressure. We're not influenced by our own desires, but we choose to do in all those situations what is right in the eyes of God. That's what it means to be holy as he is holy to separate ourselves from sin, to glorify him, and to be a life that glorifies him, but also to not only separate ourselves, but to commit to living a life of righteousness, to committing to doing what is right in the eyes of God. And see, if we're called to live in holiness, what does that take from us? Well, first of all, it takes a desire to be like the Lord, to be holy like he is holy. Well, how do we do that? We separate ourselves from sin and we live a life of doing what is right. Now, for those of us that truly have that desire, that desire to be like a holy God, Peter tells us where we can start. Look with me in verse 14 and 15 again. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he has called you who is holy, you also to be holy in all of your what? Conduct. In our conduct, he says, if, you're, if you really desire to be holy as God is holy, if you truly desire to be like a holy God and you have this chief desire in your life to be like him and to be holy like he is, here's where you start. Here's the beginning place for you. You ready? You need to start with your conduct. You need to start by looking at your behavior. See, what Peter is saying is this. If you truly desire to be like the Lord and to be holy like he is holy and all that that means, you better start by looking at your conduct. You better start by looking at your behavior. Here's why that matters. Some of us will say one thing and our conduct and our behavior will say something else. For example, let's say you hurt somebody's feelings. 
And you say to them, hey, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. But yet you turn right around and do the same thing again. So are you truly sorry for hurting their feelings? Or did you just say it because you knew it was the right thing to say? See, if you were truly sorry, wouldn't your behavior line up with what you said? Sure it would. And there are many of us that are watching today that say there's been moments in our life where we have said, hey, Lord, I want to live closer to you. I want, I want to engage and I want to build the level of intimacy in our relationship. And we may say all these right things and we have all these good intentions, but our behavior never changes. We don't read our Bible more. We don't pray more. We don't get on our knees and seek God like we should seek God. See, here's the thing. If we're going to claim something, our behavior has to match up. And that's what Peter's saying. If you truly desire to be holy like he is holy, here's where you start. You start by addressing your conduct. Now, here's what he tells them. He says, make sure that you are not conforming to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, make sure that you are not conforming to your old ways of living. You need to look at your behavior and be reminded of this. The person you are today as a child of God is not the person you used to be before you knew Christ. Who you are today in him is not who you used to be. So don't go back to those old ways, those old ways of selfishness, those old ways of fulfilling your own desires. Don't go back to that. Don't conform to the, to the, the passions of this world. Don't engage the passions of this world. Don't engage the evil longings of this world or the ungodly appetites. Don't engage in the sense of immediately gratifying the cravings of a heart. Listen, if you wanna be like a holy God, you must address your behavior. You must address your conduct. If what you claim is what you mean, your behavior should line up. And that's a pretty powerful thing we need to think about this morning. See, what Peter's trying to get at is this, is that our obedience in our conduct is what distinguishes us from the world. Our obedience and living the way that God has called us to live is what distinguishes us from the world. See, we live in a world that does not live by a moral compass. In fact, if you could go back some things that are acceptable in the world today, and you could go back 10, 20, 40, 50 years ago, they were seemed extremely taboo. And the world we live in is this idea of moral relativism, meaning this, whatever's truth for you may not be truth for somebody else, but whatever works for you, that's truth. That's not what scripture teaches. The world we live in doesn't live with a moral compass that this is the absolute truth, but we do. This is our absolute truth. The word of God is our absolute truth. And we need to make sure what we claim and what we desire matches up with our behavior because our obedience in our conduct and behavior is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. So if we truly have a desire to be like a holy God, our desire and our conduct need to be in rhythm. The second thing he says it takes, it's found in verse 17. Look at me in verse 17, he says this. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves, listen, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So what does it take for us to live in holiness? First of all, it takes a desire to be like God. It takes a desire to look like him. But secondly, it takes a fear of God's fatherly discipline. Let me say it again. It takes a fear of God's fatherly discipline. Now, that word fear that's used in the passage here in verse 17 is the word phobos. 
And it doesn't just mean, you know, typically when we talk about fearing God, it, it, it's the idea of being awe of, a respect of, a reverence toward God. That's not what phobos means. It means to dread. So another way of saying it is that we are to have a dread of God's fatherly discipline. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, there's a couple of things that I was very, very fearful of. A couple of things that I dreaded. Here's the first one. Snakes. I hate snakes. Oh my gosh. Snakes just scare the daylights out of me. And I know my sweet Jesse girls are watching right now and you're laughing at me because you love snakes and you play with snakes. This guy does not play with snakes. In fact, I had an episode this last week where I was fighting with a snake and needless to say, the snake won. He's still in my shed and maybe Jesse girls, you can come get him out for me. All right. That'd be great. So I'm horrified of snakes. Fearful, I dread, when I, I could see a snake from a distance and I just get goosebumps all over my body. I hate them, I dread them. I don't ever wanna see another one. But you know the thing I dreaded when I was a kid growing up? I dreaded the discipline of my father. Now I, didn't, I wasn't fearful of my dad, I love my dad. But I dreaded and was fearful of his discipline. Now why would I dread that? Well because my, first of all my dad was 6'4 and he weighed 270. And my dad, I can still remember the moments. My dad did not believe in time out. My dad did not believe in sending us to our room. My dad believed in the old-fashioned whoopings. That's what my dad believed in. And I can still remember, I can still right now hear the sound of the belt swooshing out of his belt loops because of how my dad would, would discipline us. And I can remember times when my dad worked for the railroad, I can remember times when my dad was gone, my mom would say something like this, hey, Doug, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, when your dad gets home, I'm going to let him handle you. I'm going to let him discipline you. So, Doug, if you don't stop what you're doing, just wait till your father gets home. Now, needless to say, not all the time, but a whole lot of the time, my fear and my dread for that discipline of when my dad got home, what that would look like, caused me miraculously to change my behavior, right? Because I didn't want to get a whooping from my dad all of a sudden what I was doing wrong. Now I miraculously decided maybe I ought to change the way that I'm acting. I think that's at the heart of what Peter's trying to communicate. That if we have a, a proper fear and dread of God's discipline in our life, it should motivate us to live a life of holiness. In fact, in this one verse, there's three phrases that give us greater insight. The first phrase, he kind of tells us who is to be dreadful or fearful of his discipline. He says, and if you call on him as father. He's saying, those of you that call on God as father should dread and even fear his discipline. He's talking about those who cry out to him. He's talking about those who are in relationship to the Lord. So for those of us that are born again believers, he's saying, listen, for those of you that are elect children of God living in exile, you need to be fearful and you need to dread the disciplining hand of your father. Why? Because is discipline ever fun? Come on. Did you ever get a spanking that you enjoyed? No. In fact, your parents said something crazy like this. This hurts me more than what? It hurts you. They lied, didn't they, right? So we've never looked forward to those moments. And he's just simply saying, for those of you that are followers of Christ, we need to have this dread of his discipline. But he also tells us why we should dread it. Look what he says, because God is the one who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, meaning this. God is not only faithful to bless our obedience, he's also faithful to discipline our disobedience. Let me say that again. God is not only faithful to, to bless us in our obedience, he's also faithful to discipline us in our disobedience. 
And then he tells us in light of that how we're to live. He says this, therefore conduct yourselves with fear. Here's what he means. Live your life dreading God's discipline. Now here's what I believe Peter's trying to get at the heart of. He's trying to remind these early Christians that we need to listen. We need to live in this tension. We serve a holy God. A holy God who's called us also to be holy. And the way that we act out this holiness is by gauging and looking at and changing the behavior of our life. By separating ourselves from sin and living a life of righteousness. But when we choose to rebel against this holy God, he always disciplines his children. Always. In fact, we need to live in that tension that when we rebel against God, we should expect a disciplining hand of God in our lives. In fact, if you read your Bible, you see it all the way through there. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Aaron had two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they were both priests, and they decided to go in to the Holy of Holies and offer an unauthorized offering before the Lord? What did God do to them? He consumed them with fire. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament who lied about what they had to the apostles? What happened to them? They dropped dead. Do you remember the story of Israel over and over and over again? who would live in rebellion against God and God over and over and over again allowed different nations to come in to ransack them and to discipline them. All throughout scripture, there is a tension that when I obey God, I am blessed by God. When I disobey, I'm disciplined. And what Peter's saying is, we as exiles in this world need to live in that tension. If I obey him, he will bless me. But if I disobey him, he will discipline me. So what does it take to live in holiness? It takes a fear or dread of God's fatherly discipline. And there's one more thing it takes. It's found in verse 18 through 21. Look with me, it says this. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious, read it with me, the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world was made manifest in the last times for the sake for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. What does it take for us to live in holiness? Lastly, it takes this, an understanding of God's love for us. Please hear my heart this morning. If there was ever a motivation to live a life of holiness it is thinking about the love of God. If there was ever motivation that should drive me to live a life of holiness separate from sin and a life of righteousness, it is the love of God. And see what he says about the love of God, that God has redeemed us, not with the blood of animals, not with the blood of one of many sons, but with the precious blood of his one and only son, Jesus and this was not just a plan that God whipped up in the last moment. This was a plan he said he foreknew before the foundations of the world. This was always God's plan to send his son to die on the cross for us. So that with his sacrifice and with the resurrection on the third day, that we might have hope. See, that's how much God loves us. And we, if we're truly going to live in holiness, we need to understand the magnitude of the love that God has for us. 
And I want to say this to us as well. The truth of the matter is, if we choose not to live in holiness, if we're a believer and a follower of Christ, and we choose not to be separate from sin, if we choose not to reflect and to mirror the image and the character of God, if we choose not to live a life of righteousness, we are cheapening the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We are cheapening the gift that God has given us. So how are we to live as exiles? We are to live in holiness. What does that mean? How, what does that take from us? It takes, from, it takes us a desire to be like God, to be holy as he is holy. It takes a fear or a dread of his disciplining hand in our lives. And it takes a deep understanding of how much he loves us. That's what it takes for you and I to live a life in holiness. Now, Peter obviously understood that that task was a difficult one. Because look what he says back up to verse 13. We didn't read it, but I want to read it now because this is kind of the precursor to everything he says. He says this in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. Listen, if you're going to live in holiness, if you're going to live in holiness, you got to get your mind right. You've got to understand what it's going to take from you to do that. And secondly, you've got to keep your eye on the prize. You can't take your eyes off the prize. And for you and I today, if we're truly going to live in holiness, we've got to get our minds right this morning. We've got to get our minds off the things of this world, and we've got to understand the very things we talk about. We've got to understand what it takes for us to live in holiness, and we've got to make sure that we keep our eyes on the prize. See, my prayer for us today has been simply this, is that as we go through this passage, that we would be challenged, that we would be challenged to check our desires. Do we desire the things of the world, or do we desire to look more like God? That it would cause us to check our conduct. Is our conduct driven by our own fleshly desires, or is it driven with a desire to please God? And that we would check our hearts, and we'd ask ourselves, have I taken the love of God for granted in my life? And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning and you look at that and, you're, and you feel like you've checked your desires and you've checked your conduct and you've checked your heart and what you found is that you see some misplaced desires. What you see is some ungodly conduct. What you see is a heart that has taken the love of God for granted. I'm gonna ask you to do something this morning, two things. First of all, if that's you this morning and you recognize that, I'm gonna ask you to repent. I'm gonna ask you to repent for having those ungodly conduct. To repent for those misplaced desires and repent for taking the love of God for granted in your life. But the second thing I'm gonna ask you to do is this. I'm gonna ask you right now, would you be willing to commit to living a life in holiness? That today you would say, Lord, today, putting my past behind, today I'm committing to living a life in holiness, to living a life being holy like you are holy, living a life where I'm always mindful of how much you love me. And if you're willing to make this commitment and you're willing to make this your prayer today, I'm gonna ask you right now to grab your computers, your smart device, or your phone and just simply say this, yes and amen. Yes, I will make this my commitment. And yes, this will continue to be my prayer. Would you just respond by saying yes and amen this morning? And if you're someone who does not know Christ as your Savior, you do not have a relationship with Christ, today you were reminded of how much he loves you. And what you recognize as you begin to check your own life is that you don't have that relationship, but you desperately want it.
You desperately want the hope that we've talked about. You desperately want to know that when you leave this world, there's a world that's waiting for you, a blessing and being the presence of the Savior of the world. And the only way you're going to experience that is through a personal relationship with Jesus. And so maybe for you today, what you need to do with everything in you is just cry out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe with all of my heart that you died on a cross for me and that you rose from the grave. And today I'm going to surrender my life to you and ask you to be the boss and the master of it. And if you're willing to make that commitment, would you just be faithful to do that right now? My prayer is just simply this this morning, that for believers and for those who are desiring to know God, that you would be faithful and we would be faithful to respond as the Lord has led us. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your goodness in our lives, Lord. And I thank you today that we have been reminded that we are, as exiles in this world, we are called to live in holiness. And today we were able to see in your word what it takes for us to do that. So God, I pray for believers today as we check our lives, where we see ungodly conduct, where we see misplaced um, desires, where we see a heart that is taking you for granted. May we repent of that, and may we make a new commitment to you that today we're choosing to live in holiness. Today we are committing to live a life of to be holy like you are holy. That today we are committing to live a life where we always are mindful of how much You love us. God, help us make that commitment today. And then God, I pray for those who've never trusted you, that today for the first time, they would surrender their heart and surrender their lives. Lord, may you work only as you can, and may we be faithful to respond as you lead us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen and amen.